When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, here's one of those folks I've been wanting to talk to for a long time. We keep talking about it. Finally got it done. We got Rachel Chu on the program. Excited to see her. Young Voices contributor. She's working at the Committee for Justice, which we're going to get into in a minute. She's got a long list of writing accolades. Really sharp. Always enjoy chatting. Now we get to do it for the program. Rachel, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. It's great to chat with you. Yeah, I like this piece. You're writing in real clear markets about... Let's back up for a second because I want to set the environment up because... I think this is a real problem. This is something I'm somewhat personally invested in. I think it's bad for the country. I think it's bad for the media business. And I think it's bad for journalism. And I think the solution that the state of California is trying to do is going to make it all worse. But let's back up. We all know what's happened to the print news industry, newspapers specifically. We know that you go digital or you die. We understand that. But and I'm somebody that writes for a local paper. I do a column for a local paper as part of my writing. So I, I believe in local papers and local news media outlets, but they've got to evolve. But California has done their California thing where they go, oh, let's come up with a really crazy regulatory scheme to try to fix something that naturally evolved. Is that a good way to give the background on what this piece of legislation that you're writing about is doing? Because it's if I just took it in a vacuum, it sounds kind of weird. But building up that way, is that a good way to put what's going on here? I think that's a great uh, summary of what's been going on. Um, Just to backtrack a little bit further, newspapers um, have had a lot of issues over the past few decades when it comes to trying to innovate. And we've seen in the past, um, 50 years ago, um, actually a little bit more than that, um, newspapers were at risk of being displaced by televisions because that was the primary way people were starting to get their news. And we saw a bill proposed and passed back then, didn't work out. We actually see similar iterations of the same sort of bill, which is to either carve out um, a loophole from antitrust laws for newsrooms or to have some other scheme which transfers money from a disfavored company to the newsrooms. And so we see a lot of these different legislative proposals aimed at um, apparently trying to protect local newspapers. But in the end, that's never what any of these um, pieces of legislation ends up achieving. Um, That's exactly what we see in California. There is a bill um, that that was proposed this year um, called the California Journalism Preservation Act. Um, It has since been held um, until next year, which is a good sign. Um, The authors of the bill realize that there are major issues with their proposal and are trying to see how they can fix it. I'm not sure if they can, but um, to sum up, this bill um, would have an arbitrator um, calculate a percentage of the advertising revenue that um, online platforms like 
Meta and Google receive and transfer that over to newspapers or media outlets um, with with without regard for the size of the organization. Um, so we see that this is a proposal that, like many others, is simply rent seeking. Um, it's transferring, again, profits from a disfavored company to one um, that the government feels is more valuable. Yeah, and we're going to link to her whole piece in Real Clear Markets. You can read the whole thing. This is not a unique idea to what California is doing. Um, Australia has a model, a news media model for this. The EU has played around with similar ideas, although they have a widespread spectrum like this has. This has actually been in some local and state level in a couple different places. This is something that Meta, when it was still Facebook, way back in the beginning of Facebook, actually dealt with, and it kind of died off, and now it's back again. This is not a new idea. The idea, and again, I'm I'm open to the suggestion of the idea but the government going in and changing who gets what distribution for online content for a print medium. That's what we're really talking about. This gets into a legal area that we hear a lot about when it comes to websites that kind of gets abused. It's become kind of the hip of like, what is and isn't a publisher? Who publishes a big deal here? Because that gets to the heart of the legal part of this is if you publish in one media, can the government come in and say, okay, you're going to transfer that content and the monetization thereof to this whole other platform, that's where this gets real sticky and icky in a big hurry legally, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think something else too, um, along the same vein that the government really misses with these types of proposals is that while the news links provide a benefit to the online platform, the online platform also has a benefit for the newsrooms. It's, it's giving them an opportunity to disseminate their articles widely. Um, that's something that perhaps would have been more difficult uh, beforehand. And so um, when the government steps in and tries to dictate the granular way in which these businesses conduct their business, um, ultimately, it just doesn't work out. And when we see these proposals as well, we see a clear bias towards one side and to say that one side provides all of the value, in which, which is not the case. And like you mentioned, there's so many different legal issues that compound upon this. It's not simply, oh, let's just let big tech right pay for the local newsrooms. Right, Rachel Chu joining us. That's the entire point here is... I, you could get in the weeds in this really quick, but let me let me tackle it this way. You make content as a writer, as a newspaper, as a website. The um, I'm under I understand the argument because I use it. I do it with my work. I put my stuff on social media, and you hope other people put it out there. You send it to somebody. Hey, can you boost this for me? That's not monetization in and of itself, but it leads to that. So I understand that argument. The other problem you have is the market has kind of decided that newspapers are not doing well because of their business model. And it's not really necessarily even bad management. It's just the business model, the advertising print media. It just can't keep up with the digital. Now, some newspapers have evolved and figured. Some go to weekly things. Washington Post, New York Times, they turn profits because they've become more specialized. How do we talk about that in a better way? Because you hear, here's what happens with these things. Let's just go big picture for a second. Here's this problem. Everybody goes, oh, no, that's a shame. Newspapers are dying. Let's go fix it. 
The problem is when you go to write the black and white of the wall, let's go fix it to something that was dying for a reason. And although it's kind of bottomed out and look again, I write for a local paper for purpose. I believe in the medium. I think it's important, but that let's do something about this problem that sounds bad. You have to put this stuff in black and white. And when you start talking about subsidizing something with something else in black and white, now you've gotten into a whole nother area besides just fixing that initial problem. That's a real hard way to explain it. You're smarter than me. Explain it in a better way than I just did. I mean, I think you did a very good job. And I want to go back to um, something you said at the beginning, which is the evolution, right? That um, these industries need to evolve with the, <clears throat> with the changing times. And we see these proposals are making it difficult for them to do so because it's creating this um, legal landscape that is very difficult and almost seems like it's solving the issue when it never really does. And so when it comes to local newspapers, it's more than just the rise of Facebook and Google um, that are causing issues, right? We see that um, there's a lot of services, a lot of um, things that these local newspapers did in the past that are now being done by other forums. And so uh, an example that comes to mind is Nextdoor, which is a forum where people in the community can come together to talk about different issues, to share things going on, right? Um, and that's typically, that was, say, 20, 30 years ago, that was a service that was exclusively provided by local newsrooms. And so we see as things change as services move elsewhere, as people find easier ways to connect, local newsrooms also need to evolve and they, they need to find ways to remain relevant and useful within their communities. And I believe that they do have that place, but they need to have that opportunity to be able to look back and think, okay, what services were useful before that are not as useful now? Which ones um, are important for the community? And let's start there. So I think the biggest thing that we need to talk about here is innovating for the future. And a bill like this doesn't really help do that. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Join us. You touched on another big picture topic that got funneled into this particular issue, but it goes to the wider thing about especially things like new media, like what we're doing right now, where we're talking, you know, for a program over the internet. You talked about this, that this is basically an extension of industrial policy. It's a bigger thing, but this is a great example of it where government changes really slowly and the law changes even slower we're still applying a lot of old industrial policy to new technology, especially big tech. That's why you get terms like monopoly and antitrust that are just getting abused left, right, and center when it comes to online medium right now. You hear it over and over again. You highlighted that in your piece. Industrial policy is something that is very old in American law, but that's why you got to check. Does this violate a First Amendment issue? Does this violate regulation? Does this environment other things? Equality Act. That's really at the core of this. That's a bigger problem, but we need to talk about that. Is like we're still trying to use this old industrial policy stuff to new things, and it doesn't really fit real well, does it? No, not at all. Um, and I think a simple question that people should be asking is, if the government is trying to fix a so-called market failure, well, what is that failure? Um what caused it and is the government solution quote unquote is it actually going to be achieving what it's trying to do and with all these sorts of economic policies that that we've seen where it's favoring one industry over another it's a subsidy i think these basic questions are where we should start to just see where is the problem what is the solution and is the proposed solution, is it getting at that issue? Um, and those are very basic questions that um, people, I think, don't ask enough, especially when we see bills like this, where they're touted as just a catch-all solution to help solve this issue, right? And so like, I don't think anyone is going to dispute that local newsrooms do have value um, and that um, there is an issue with a lot of them closing down. So if we've like identified that issue already, then now we need to think, well, what is the solution, right? And if the solution here is just transferring money over to them, profits over from one company to another, is that actually going to do something? Um, and in this case, the reason why I think a lot of these policies really fail is because they don't even achieve what they're intending to. So with the case of this California bill, because there is no regard for the size of the organization, they're not even helping local newsrooms. The, the end result is actually gonna be a lot like that law that was passed in 1970, which was also aimed at helping local newspapers where it just helps the largest news firms um, have more profits than they did the year before. And that that's not the intent of this. And I think what's even more insidious is that it's passed off as a solution and it, it makes it difficult then to explore the actual real solutions that can help the problem. Yeah, Rachel Chu joining us. 
I'm not a lawyer, but I can see where there would be a First Amendment issue really, really fast with this scheme. Um, if you anytime you make the government a go between between one business and another, you're already getting into some territory where you definitely need some guardrails. When you get into the information and news business and the government's going to be the gatekeeper of who gets what monetarily, especially between the tech companies, which are consolidating. You've got a couple big ones right now and that they're going to dominate any kind of rule like this. Let's just be adults here. And then these smaller firms. Boy, you start getting the government picking and choosing which which freedom of the press gets to be free and exist. I foresee that being a very big problem if this scheme were to go forward. Is that a fair concern to have? I think so. And I think that's something that we should be talking about a lot more um, when it comes to these sorts of proposals. A lot of them tread closely. Well, they, a lot of them are an, antitrust bills. And so with that, uh, in this new wave of um, antitrust reform we're seeing um, with a lot of pr pr proposals like this, we've seen one on the federal level that looks very similar called the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, which is still being considered right now, um, we see that they are constantly just picking winners and losers. And that's something that I think as Americans, we should be very uncomfortable with. Um, just the fact that the government feels that um, they are in a position to do that um, and that they, that they can um, solve the market failures better um, than the free market can. Um, and so I think that we should be very wary, very skeptical um, when it comes to things like this, especially because they're drawing from other proposals, like you mentioned, elsewhere, international efforts to kind of do the same thing. And so um, we should feel uncomfortable with that because we have a lot of freedoms, um, a lot of um, protections in the U.S. that other countries don't have, like you, you mentioned, the First Amendment. Um, and because other countries don't have that, when they're crafting their own um, pr proposals that, that look a lot like, like these, um, they're not really thinking about that. And so going back to the California bill, one of the things that um, the bill's author said um, when trying to reevaluate the um, effectiveness of their proposal, they said that they want to look internationally to see what other countries have done. And when it comes to something like this, when it comes to um, our free market, our First Amendment rights, um, other countries aren't really going to be thinking about that and they're not respecting that. And meanwhile, we have our lawmakers who are drawing from those other proposals. Yeah, Rachel Chu joining us. You also touched on something right there is like, this is a state level bill, of course. California's own constitution, their article, one of their constitution has free press um, built into it. So it's going to run into a state constitutional problem in, in addition to a U.S. constitutional problem. This feels to me like a problem, like a lot of complex problems. This should be more of an all of the above kind of an answer than a one size fits all. Let's regulate it and fix it sort of thing. Look, I'm not I wouldn't be a huge fan of it, but there's multiple ways that if you wanted to do something at a local or a state level to do something about local media in your state or municipality or county commission or whatever the case may be, you could do it. You could set up, you know, tax breaks, grants, whatever. And we could debate all those some other times. I'm just saying there's multiple things you could do. This seems like one of those shots at, oh, well, let's take these two things. Big tech's a problem and local news is a problem. Let's just smash them together and make a regulation. In my experience, that's almost the worst way to try to legislate something because now you got all these incongruent parts. You kind of called out one of the lawmakers here and said, look, you're, and I'll quote you from it, is like, it's a safeguard against government intrusion to justify greater intervention. 
that's just there's no version of that that makes sense when you actually boil it down to what they're actually doing. Exactly. Um, I was a little bit taken aback when I saw that um, she was mentioning the free press um, as justification um, for this bill because um, the First Amendment, um, the freedom of the, of the press, that's really a negative, right? It's saying that um, the government won't intrude, right? And then meanwhile, she's using that as um, rationale to say, hey, this is why we need to have more government intervention. And to me, that that just seems so confusing to me in how um, that could be the reasoning behind this. And ultimately, I think it goes back to another point that we, we talked about of just people asking questions and really looking through these sorts of bills and saying, like, is this actually going to achieve what it's supposed to? Or is it really just a political tool, right? Is it something to get at these um, unpopular big tech companies? Is it is it getting at um, the appeal of helping local newsrooms without actually doing it? Um, and that is, I think, the saddest part of all of this, where these proposals time and time again are being justified by something that seems very good. Because again, everyone wants to see local newsrooms thrive, right? We don't want to see them shut down. But at the same time, now we have these proposals that aren't really going to address the issue at all and perhaps will just help the lawmakers earn political points, which in the end doesn't really help anyone. Yeah, Rachel, thanks for joining us. As a writer and somebody that, you know, does stuff with a local newspaper, I could see the problem immediately becoming, well, if you're getting a, a, a supplement or a stipend or whatever you want to call it from the government, what, how, whatever form this takes, how are you going to do an investigation into that program being run? You know, how are you, you know, I can see all kinds of problems with that. We don't talk enough. I'm guilty of it, too. We're all guilty. We just bash the media or the news media. I've tried to be real careful and stop saying the media. You need to break it up. There's broadcasters, investigative journalists. We need good journalists now more than ever with everything going on in the world. We need to just go back and have a basic understanding of what a free press really is, don't we? Like we, We've kind of butchered the First Amendment, especially with free speech of like, oh, well, if I can't get on Facebook, my free. No, that's not what that means. We need to do that with the press, too, don't we? And really go back to a base level understanding of what the press is. And then we can properly keep in the context when something like this happens where the government's stepping in of like, well, this is antithetical to what a free press actually is. Have we done good with educating the current generations on what a free press is in the digital age? Because I don't think we have. I don't think so either. I think a lot of the things that we perceive as constitutional rights sometimes those words, right, like free press, they just get co-opted to mean something that it doesn't actually mean. And this is um, an issue that the Supreme Court has had for, for many years in terms of what is a constitutional right, what's actually in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights um, and what's not, right? And oftentimes, and I think a lot of people are guilty of this. Some, it's just because they they are ignorant to it and they, they just haven't learned it. Others, I think, are a little bit more willful about it in terms of saying that something is a constitutional right 
when it's not there and it's used to just justify some type of ideological position. Um, so at the end of the day, what is in the constitution is in there, what isn't, isn't, right? And so um, when we justify proposals, especially ideological ones on the basis of, oh, it is a constitutional right, we should think about it a little bit. And I think I think all of this comes down to, we should just think about these issues a little bit more in terms of what we want to achieve, uh, what these proposals are actually saying, and then if it's being justified by something very tenuous, we should be able to question it um, and not see it as some absolute truth when it's not. Yeah, Rachel Chu, this goes to why you got to understand the fundamental principles involved because the technology, can you imagine if they had done this law 25 years ago and it was written specifically that they had to prop up AOL online mm-hmm. or CompuServe or pick whatever's fallen out of favor since then. If we start writing laws specifically to prop up newspapers and Facebook, now you've stunted whatever comes after Facebook. And I know we all got used to the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram era. That's only about 15, 16, 17 years now. That's not a long time in the grand scheme of things. And there'll be something after that that we don't know about yet. That's why you focus on the principles when you do legislation and especially regulation, because you don't know the next thing coming. And it usually blindsides you like when the smartphone came out and the iPhone came out within a year and a half, two years, everything changed. That's why this is the sort of stuff you kind of want to go slow on and keep those first principles of like freedom of press, freedom of speech centered, isn't it? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I think something to keep in mind here as well is America has been a country of technological growth, innovation, right? Perhaps uh, much more than many other of uh, the other countries that have proposed bills like this or, you know, elsewhere who have um, really stifled the innovation within their own countries. And when we see proposals like this, we really should think about that because um, I think oftentimes people take for granted um, just how much progress and innovation we've had in this country, especially on the technology and internet front over the past few years. Um, And that's by no accident. And if the government tries to intervene in ways um, that are very antithetical to that, we may see down the line that perhaps there are technologies and innovations that we won't be able to achieve, we won't be able to realize as a country. And that to me is pretty concerning, especially when we think about the role that technology uh, plays in a uh, competitive context in terms of um, competing with other countries. And so we need to really think, I think, when uh, we talk about technology and um, government intervention, government reforms, um, we should be very skeptical and we should be, um, I think, a little bit on guard. Yeah, Rachel, shoot. Tell us about being on guard on that. You did the research on this. The California bill looks like it's probably stalled, at least for this legislative session, or at least until the first of the year. The federal one, like, let's be honest, we got an election year coming up. There's not going to be a whole lot of electoral anything in the U.S. Congress going on for the next 18 months or so. But this is something that's going to keep popping up every so often, kind of on that second or third level of news down under the headlines somewhere. Do exactly what you just said. Give people a couple of things to watch out for. So when they see something in the news headlines, maybe buried down in a story somewhere of, oh, this is that about this again. And they can come back to the story again and know that this is because this is going to come up over and over and over again, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. So on the federal level, the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act has been around for a few years and it keeps getting uh, re-upped and proposed again. Um, So that's something that I think people should watch. 
Um, I think that the hearings um, in which uh, senators have talked about this bill are very telling because we see opposition on both sides. Um, and the concerns are very similar in which that uh, this bill is very intrusive, um, that it won't accomplish its goals. Um, and I was actually very pleased to hear folks on the left also saying that as well. And so I think anytime the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act comes back up, people should be watchful and see uh, what senators and uh, uh, what they're really say saying about this. Um, and then I think the other term to watch out for in an international context is link tax, um, because that's basically what these proposals are. Um, they go by different names, but ultimately they are um, a link tax. And so um, I think people should watch out for, for that as well. We see um, these types of um, bills coming up in a lot of other countries. And I think it's worth seeing what happens with those. Um, and then I would also add just one caution, um, which is, I think that it's often portrayed as something that would just get at big tech. And we see these sensational headlines of Meta threatening to pull out, you know, uh, news in X country because of this bill. And I think those types of things miss the point because it it kind of paints it as, oh, it's just a big tech issue when it's really more than that. It's a really substantial economic issue. Um, so I would add that caution, um, but I would say that people should be very watchful um, of these types of proposals because they really aren't going anywhere. Yeah, and this is where you need to be consuming overseas news as well, good, solid overseas news, BBC, Sky, CBC, things like this. The EU has been doing this. I think they first tried theirs in 2018 or so, and they've been fighting back and forth on it. Canada's is looking at a one that's even more restrictive than the EU one right now. That stuff matters here because those things bleed over. We live in a global economy, whether you like it or not. Pay attention to that stuff. You'll probably see it coming that way before you see it on the U.S. news. Rachel Chu Great to finally have you here, first of all. We've been wanting to talk to you for a while. Glad we got to talk about this. Let folks know where they can keep up with you, what you have going on, and how they can follow you until we get you back on Hertel again. And it'll be a lot faster next time than the you know year or so we've been trying to do it. Uh -huh. Yes, yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Rachel H. Chu, um, and I'm writing a lot more about this issue and many others um, in the tech policy world. Uh, so stay tuned. Yeah, love having you. Thank you so much for the information. We're going to link to all her stuff and to the whole piece in Real Clear Markets. A couple links in there you're going to need to click through to read the background. Make sure you do that. Rachel Chu, so great having you. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks so much. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. 
You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.